One of the things we find in the Bible is the fact that the church is supposed to affect the culture. I mean, you think about it. We're supposed to be lights in the, in the world. We're supposed to be salt and light. We're to go with the message of Jesus Christ. But one of the problems that we find, especially in the United States, it seems the culture affects the church. Think about our culture for just a second. The culture says me first. I mean, the culture is saying, I want, you know, that the, you know, I'm the most important one. I deserve a break today. Whatever I want, I deserve this. That's the culture. The culture says things are important because that's how, that's how you measure. That's how you measure who you are. It's what you have. It's, it's your possessions, your things, your power, your authority, all of that. And then the third thing that the culture says is instant gratification. I want it, I want it right now. And that's the way our culture is. We've got microwaves and everything else that says, I gotta have it right now. If you go in, if you go into a fast food restaurant and you stand in line and you're standing in line for more than a minute and you haven't got your food, we're going like, what is the holdup? Why is it so slow? I mean, you know, why are these people moving? How could it take us more than a minute to get up there and get our food? That's how we think. Well, that's the culture, but, but the bottom line is the church is affected that way. Instead of, and go ahead and go to the next slide. And, and, and fact, the thing about it is, think about the church. The church is going me first. Because what you see in our culture today is what they call a hot tub religion, which is, what's in it for me? You know, uh, a guy wrote a book called Hot Tub Religion, Hot Tub Christianity, where he talks about that we're going as like the country club. What do you have to offer me? You know, how can we be served? You know, you know, how, how can this church serve me? That's the key. The second thing is that things, it's not necessarily possessions, although we do want possessions. We want programs, we want activities, we want things for us. Uh, I see today that it seems like people are all into the entertainment. What, what do you have to offer me? How can you entertain me? And then the instant gratification, instead of the ongoing study of the scripture, instead of, you know, the growth. And, and by the way, it takes time to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. But what people say is, I want this seminar. Why don't you give us this? It, we Weekend retreat. We want to become spiritual. We want emotion. We want experience rather than edification and growth. And that's what we're seeing. So the world, it seems, is affecting the church rather than the church affecting the world. Now, when we see uh, Genesis chapter 4, we're seeing the life of Cain and we're seeing how, how he lives in this world, how this fallen world and what it looks like. And, and, what, and we see a couple of famous people. And of course, as time goes by, we'll see more and more through Genesis 4, 5, and 6 and how that fits together. Now, as we continue, let's think about the life of Cain. In the brief review, Cain and Abel came to worship God. You remember that? God had given a picture of how to approach him, how to worship him, what to do. He he had shown them by by killing an animal and a blood sacrifice. And God basically said, you're going to approach me, especially on the basis of sin. You must come and approach me with a blood sacrifice, showing the substitution. That's the key. Well, that was the foreshadow of the seed of woman is going to come across the head of the serpent. Well, when Cain approached God, and I think we got it, he didn't come by, not by faith and not by blood. Now, you say, how do you know it wasn't by faith? Hebrews chapter 11 tells us. Hebrews 11, 4, and there tells us that he came not by faith. He didn't come with blood. He, he, he came to approach God on his own way. But when we see Cain approached, uh, excuse me, Abel approached, the next one, he approached, first of all, he got his flock. He came by faith with a blood sacrifice. And what we saw was God rejected Cain and he accepted Abel. And, of course, God actually gave Cain a number of chances. Basically, he said, why are you so upset? If you'll do what's right... If you'll do what's right, you'll be accepted. We know that uh, the best we can tell, Cain told. My, my Bible says in uh, Genesis 4, verse 8, that Cain told Abel his brother. We don't know what he told him. Did he tell him that God wasn't fair? Did he tell him, I went there and I took my fruit from the ground and God should have accepted that? We don't know. It could have been that Abel told Cain, you know, you know the right way. You know what to do. You know how to approach God. The only way we can come to God is is by faith. And the only way we can come to God by faith is obey him, is do what he said. His word says, bring the sacrifice. And, of course, the best we could tell is Cain became angry with Abel and killed him. 
And then we see God come, came to confront him. Look again at verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, God, God comes to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know him. I'm my brother's keeper. Now, he's not telling the truth because God knows everything. God knows exactly what happened. God knows that Cain killed Abel. And, and so when he says, where is Abel, your brother, he's wanting him to say, um, I did something that I, I, I did something really bad. I, I just, it was wrong. I, I, I lost my temper and I killed him. That's what he should have said. But he said, I don't know where he is. I'm not, I'm not my brother's keeper, am I? And the truth is, we are our brother's keeper. We talked last time about what are the needs, what, as, as our brother's keeper, what are the needs? There's, people need salvation. There are people out all over the place that we come in contact with every day, and they do not know Jesus Christ. They do not know the way of salvation. They've never understood it. I am amazed and surprised at how many people think that it's what they do to gain salvation. Now that's what I thought, but I never went to church, so I just figured I just got the wrong message. But I know people who go to church every Sunday and they've got the wrong message. And they're still thinking that by their lifestyle, by what they do, by their goodness, by their baptism, by their rituals, by anything that they're doing, somehow they're going to get to God. People need to know the truth of salvation. As our brother's keepers, we want to present them the message. The second thing is the physical needs. There are times that we help people with physical needs. Galatians chapter 6 says as much as possible do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. And there are times with what we have, the money, the possessions, the things that God has given us, that we can use those to help meet the needs of other people. And then there's spiritual needs and we know not only spiritual needs of the salvation aspect but the believers as we grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ we use the gifts talents and abilities we have to help build each other up so are we responsible for other people the answer is yes we are we are we don't always like you know we live in a culture that says wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute I'm responsible for me I got my own thing I don't have enough time to deal with all these other people but the word of God says your life is to represent Jesus Christ and to touch other lives for Christ. That's the key. Well, God confronts him. The Lord said to Cain, verse 9, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know him. I'm my brother's keeper. And, of course, Cain lies. He refused to accept his responsibility. There is a truth there that you can't hide sin. There's, there's no doubt about it. That God knows everything. And what we should do in sin is, is to, to uh, confess it. Well, he confronts him. And notice what he says. Verse 10, he said, What have you done? Now, he knows. The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Blood cries out. Uh, the death cries out for vengeance and judgment. Death is sad. Every life is valuable. I think there's a thing that we must we must grasp. It doesn't matter whether it's the baby in the womb, whether it's the, the oldest person who, who has no control over their life or, or functions. It does not matter. Every life is valuable. Every life. And that's why we, we must uh, show the value of life and, and, and stand for, for the unborn. Stand for the, uh, just stand for life because it's, it's there. And we're seeing it all over the place. We see our culture moving further and further away. And, and, and you know what's going to happen. And we already see that, that, the, 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 that, that the one in the womb is not considered valuable. And it's not going to be but just a matter of time to the older person. It's not going to be considered valuable at all. And some of us are moving that direction. Is that what we want to happen? And you think about it. There's going to come a time when people say, you get that age, we have to take care of you in everything. You, you don't contribute to society. You're taking up space, money, medical care. It's better if these people, when they get to that point, it's better that they don't exist. That's going to happen. You know that. It's just a matter of time. 
Because that's what our culture says. Human beings are not valuable. Now, when, when Cain killed his brother, he was saying, it's nothing. And God says, wait a minute. The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Life is valuable. Every person made in the image of God, special and unique. He couldn't stop the sound of the voice of his brother's blood. He could stop the sound of his brother's voice, but not the blood. Watch verse 11. He says, now... Here's what's going to happen to you. You are cursed from the ground which has opened his mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Now, what is this guy? He's been, a, 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 you know, the tiller of the ground. This has been his thing. He, he's got the green thumb. He says, you know, I can go out and I can cook and I can make, any, I can make everything grow and then we can do it. That's my thing. Well, that's not going to be your thing anymore. You're cursed from the ground which has opened his mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. The blood of your brother has polluted the ground. Now, we talked about this last week because this is sort of where we ended. You realize that death was so serious that in the Old Testament, if, if somebody murdered somebody, they were put to death. Mosaic law, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. When somebody was found dead in a field, and we talked about it last week, but if somebody was walking through a field and suddenly they, they found a dead body, and they didn't, they didn't, nobody knew who did it. They'd say, who one who killed this person? They couldn't figure it out. They would have to measure to the closest city. Whatever town, whatever village, whatever where people lived that was the closest to the dead body, that town took responsibility and had to offer sacrifices because of the value of that life. So, today, we don't have any value. You can just turn on the television and in one week you'll see a thousand murders. You can just go where young people are playing these games and you can see a thousand people being killed. Just they got those guns and they're shooting everything in sight. And it doesn't mean anything. We've got to the point where the death of somebody doesn't mean anything anymore. He says, when you cultivate the ground, verse 12, when you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. He said, you've been able to grow things, now you're no longer going to be able to grow things. You're not going to be able to have a place to live. You're not going to be able to sit up and put your little garden out there and make your food and do it. He says, that's not going to happen. You're going to be a wanderer. You're going to be a vagrant on this earth. You're going to go from place to place. You'll have no real home. Nothing's going to grow for you. Now, notice the next verse. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is too great to bear. Does that seem like a terrible punishment to you for killing somebody? Isn't your first thought is, wait a minute, you're getting off pretty easy, buddy. I mean, you kill somebody, he says, okay, from now on, stuff's not going to grow and you're just going to have to wander around. My punishment is too great for me to bear? Wow. My punishment is too great to bear. At this point, there's not the death penalty. We'll talk about it in just a minute. We'll get a little further down. But he says, my punishment's too great for me. Literally, the Hebrew, my sin's too great to bear. That's what he's saying. My sin's too great. The consequences are too much. This is too much for me. I want you to understand there's God's grace here because God's grace is keeping him alive. It's the grace of God. Now, I want you to understand by him saying, my sin is too great to bear, he's not turning to God. He's not saying, I need you, God. He's saying, this is too much on me. Notice what he says, behold, you've driven me this day from the face of the ground. That's what I wanted, the ground. And from your face I will be hidden. I'll be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. He's worried about somebody else killing him. That's his deal. Notice what he says. I've got him right up here for you. He says, you've driven me from the face of the ground. Nothing will grow. I'm separated from God. Now, 
as we talked about, whether he is a believer who's going to be in separation from God or whether he's an unbeliever who's in separation from God. We don't know, but he's separated from God. He's not going to have any fellowship with God from this point on. He's going to live separated from God. He'll have no home, no place that he can say, that's my home. And he says, somebody's going to kill me. I want you to realize this, and it's always true, that whenever you sin, there are consequences. In fact, for every action that you do, there are consequences and results. Sometimes when you say the word consequences, always sounds bad. Galatians 6, 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. You sow to the Spirit, you reap life. When you do good things, the result is good. When you do bad things, the result is bad. That's just the way it is. And whenever we do things that are wrong, we should expect discipline. We should expect the consequences. Sin always breaks fellowship with God. It affects others. There's no peace. There's no joy. In the Psalms, when David writes about about his sin with Bathsheba, he says, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. He's lost joy. There's no peace. What should we do? When we sin and we recognize the consequences of sin, we should confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. We should deal with our sins. The Old Testament says, He who confesses and forsakes his sin will prosper. He says, Whoever finds me, they're going to kill me. You could say, Wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought there was just a... Who, who, wait a minute, who is this? There's Cain and Abel, and Adam, and Eve. Who, what does he mean? Whoever finds me is going to kill me. Is there just Adam and Eve, and Cain and Abel, and now Cain's been, Abel's been killed? Is that all there are? Three people on the face of the earth? No. Because we don't know how long. I mean, he may be 40, 50, 60 years old, or even older by now. We don't know how many children Adam and Eve have had. And there are people all over the place. That's why when we get to the verse about he goes out and finds his wife. And people have always said, where did Cain get his wife? There were a lot of people. It's not all recorded. And so he says, whoever finds me, they're going to kill me. But look what the Lord says. So the Lord said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain so that no one finding him would slay him. Now, he says, if somebody happens to kill him, then there's going to be vengeance sevenfold. Now, by the way, God deals with sin, and God is the one who gets the vengeance. You just got to understand that. When somebody does us wrong, we don't seek to get them back. Our plan is not to say, okay, they did this to me, I'm going to do this to them. That's why under the Mosaic Law, it always said eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. We talked about this last time. We said that the law limited retribution because the natural response you hit me on the arm, I'm going to kick you. If I kick you, you come and you hit me. I, I get up and I hit someone, I hit you even harder. And then you come to try to kill me. It always escalates. That's the way it is. And so that's why the Mosaic Law said if somebody breaks somebody's arm, the, it's eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's the way it is. It has to limit the retribution. God says vengeance belongs to me. We don't get people back when they do us wrong. We trust God that he will get them back. Now, he has set up, and we'll see it, he has has set up the governmental systems to deal with wrongdoing. When people do wrong, it is the responsibility of the government to deal with them, the government of the people. But individually, somebody does us wrong, we don't go get them back. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. In fact, he says, do not return evil with evil, return evil with good. Boy, is that hard? 
Is it hard not to get people back? Is it hard not to say I don't like them, I'm against them, I'm going to be I'm going to be opposed to them for what they did to me? Isn't it easy to say I'm going to get them? Isn't it hard to say I'm going to do good for them? Do you want to do good to your enemy? You say, "Well, I'd rather not see my enemy. I'd rather not have any kind of opportunity to have to do good to my enemy." Isn't that what we think? The Lord says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Do not return evil with evil, return evil with good. I will repay, says the Lord, because vengeance is mine. He says, if anybody tries to kill Cain, there will be great vengeance taken on them. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain so that no one finding him would slay him. We don't know what the sign is. Some kind of mark, I guess, some way that set him apart that people knew to don't touch him. Don't touch him in some way. He's a marked man. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Well, there's the sign. And, and somehow he became this marked man. And I think we see the grace of God in allowing him to live. But we see that the example that sin brings consequences and separation. Now, the death penalty didn't come into play until after the flood. After they came off the ark. Genesis chapter 9 verse 6. After all of this, God says that if a man sheds a man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. He was given the idea, not an individual there, but the idea that... That it was the responsibility of the government. We see in the Romans 13 the same thing. That uh, the, the, the government does not bear the sword in vain. That It's the idea. God has done that. So we see the punishment. Now, from this, and quickly, we'll see the spread of civilization. We see the people following Cain and what it's like. And we see a pattern and a contrast because Cain's really a picture of the world. Whether it's a believer or not, I don't want to say because you can't, you can't tell from the passages. Because how many times do you think Cain and Abel had approached God? Was this the only time in their lives? No. So we just don't know. But we know something's wrong here. And now he's he's going to be separated from God. And he's going to be pushed away. What was the culture like? And by the way, it's, it's almost the same as it is today. Look at verse 16. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. What I want you to see is we're going to see that this land, this 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 people are characterized as non-religious, as man-centered, with polygamy and violence and aggression. In fact, when you get over into chapter 5 and chapter 6, that's what you're going to see. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. In fact, it says that even God said, I regret that I even made man. Because every thought of man is continually what? Evil. So, the, the fallen man and the, the way the world is going following this, it gets worse and worse. Look what it goes on to say. Cain had relations with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city Enoch after the name of his son. Now, this is not the Enoch who walked with God. It's a different one. We'll talk about it. You know, a lot of people have the same names in the Scripture. This is the son of Cain. His name was Enoch. People have said, and this is the age-old question, where in the world did Cain get his wife? Just one of the many people that had been born of Adam and Eve, and those who were born from the descendants of Adam and Eve, and the children and the children it just goes on and on there's no telling how many years that when you get to chapter 5 do you realize that it says Adam lived 130 years and he became the father of Seth it was 130 years after he was 130 years old when he begot Seth does that mean that all that time no other children no other people no and they lived many years and produced many children so he, he built a city and he called it after his son's name, Enoch. You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to, to uh, what people do today, without God, they say, name the building after me. Name the building after my son. I want to have a legacy. I want people to know me. I, I want something famous to happen for me. I don't want to be forgotten. Because it's man-centered. That's what we see. 
You have to be careful. It's okay to name things after people sometimes. But be careful when in a fallen world system that what we want is the honor. Because all the honor goes to our Savior. Picture of the fallen world. Look at the descendants. Look what we find. And I'll go through it very quickly. Verse 18. Now Enoch, to Enoch was born the man by the name of Arad. And Arad became the father of Mahujal. And Mahujal became the father of Methushal. Methushal became the father of Lamech. Now, Lamech is kind of a special one. We're going to stop and see him for a second. Now, Lamech, look what he did. Lamech took to himself two wives. Polygamy. The name of one was Ada and the name of the other was Zillah. Now, uh, he violated the one flesh covenant. He by already. You know, it, the, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. She didn't say a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to a couple of wives, three wives, four wives, five wives. We'll look through the Old Testament. We'll see a lot of violations of this. The kings of Israel violated this. There are always consequences. Always consequences. Notice he goes on to say, Ada gave birth to Jabal who was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. Said the whole idea of living in tents and livestock all started through this guy. His brother's name was Jubal, who was the father of those who play the lyre and the pipe. He began, musical instruments started going this way. As for Zillah, she also gave birth to a guy by the name of Tubal-Cain, the forger of all implements of bronze and iron, and the sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. So we're beginning to see this is a civilization. Tents, livestock, musical instruments, metal works, people moving and, and doing things. But you don't see that they're believing in the Lord. You don't see that they're following God. You don't see that they're doing their own thing. Well, we come back now to Lamech, okay? Lamech said to his wives, he's got a little poem. He's real smart. He's got a little poem. I'd like to give you my poem. Listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech. Give heed to my speech. For I have killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. You know what he says? He says, I killed somebody because they hit me. That's what he says. Now, you can't tell whether there's two people or one. I think it's just one. When he says, I have killed a man for wounding me, a boy for striking me, that's Hebrew. A Hebrew, what they call Hebrew parallelism, which has the idea that you say a sentence and it means one thing, and then you say another sentence, which is going back to the same thing, gives you a little bit more information. So the best that you can tell, he says, he killed a boy, a young boy, for striking him. So a younger man, much younger the way it's written, hit him, somehow hit Lamech. Lamech said, you don't touch me, and he killed him. And he bragged about it. He said, I've killed a man for touching me. Nobody touches me. I'm one of the great ones in this world. Nobody touches me and gets away with it. I have two wives. I have all kind of descendants. My children are the ones that do this and do this and do this. He thinks he's fantastic. We see the progression. Cain fell and he lied and Lamech falls and exalts and boast, and society begins to get worse and worse and worse. It's going gonna, it's gonna to climax at the flood. And you know, you think about the flood, that there were only eight people delivered, and, and they were the believers. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and Noah was a righteous man, and all of these things. And, and you know what's so amazing is they came off that ark, and eight believers, and it wasn't very long that... What happened to Noah? What did he do right off? He got drunk. What did one of his sons do? We don't want to talk about that. We'll talk about it later, but we don't want to talk about it now. And what happened even after coming off the ark, starting with nothing but believers? It just goes that way because it's a fallen world.
And you know, it won't change until the Prince of Peace comes as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and he makes a new heavens and a new earth, and righteousness and justice, he rules, and all the believers who have been changed people, we have those new bodies, the glorified bodies, and we live with him forever. That's the only way it's going to ever be back the way it should be. Well, there's one other thing. He says, if Cain is avenged sevenfold, if God's going to avenge Cain sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm so much more special than anybody else that I get vengeance if anybody touches me, and it'll be seventy-seven times, not just seven. But we see something in verse twenty-five. Adam and Eve had relations. Adam had relations with his wife again. She gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed me another offspring in the place of Abel, for Cain killed him. The best we can tell, we know that Abel was a worshiper of God. Could it be all these others that's been coming and going and that we don't see any worship of the living God? We don't have enough information. He doesn't give us enough. But the way the passage ends seems to indicate that things have been going away from God. And so they have another son. They name him Seth. And uh, he means that means the substitute. God has appointed me another offspring in the place of Abel, for Cain killed him. His name is Seth, the substitute, you might say. And notice here, there's a division. To Seth, to him also, a son was born. And he, he called his name Enosh. Then men, then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. And what we see is... A marked contrast between those who are calling upon the name of the Lord. That's, that's Abel's, but basically Seth's, you know, Adam and Eve and Seth and Enosh and the people who begin to call upon the name of the Lord. And then on the other side, you've got Cain and his offspring and Lamech and all of those people who are not calling upon the name of the Lord. They leave him out. And that's the division. And you can look at this world. And you can find people who call upon the name of the living God. Now, there are a lot of people who are religious. We're not talking about religion, because religion doesn't mean anything. There are a lot of religious people who are lost and are going their own way. We're talking about those who believe in the living God, who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and have eternal life. There are those people, and then there are the rest of the world that is going a different direction. It's been that way from the beginning. It'll be that way until the Prince of Peace comes forever and ever and ever and rules in righteousness and justice. Let me show you something that's a little bit unique. Uh, the seventh descendant from Cain. The seventh descendant from Cain was Lamech. It's the best we can tell. He was an open rebellion. The seventh descendant from Seth is going to be Enoch who walked with God. There's a little contrast there. I think the Bible has always given us some contrast in saying the descendants of Cain, this is what we get. The descendants of Seth, this is what we get. And I think there's the picture there of those who, who believe and those who don't. Those who walk with God and those who don't. Do you know who the two people in the Bible who were walked with God? There are two people in the Bible that said they walked with God. Anybody know who they are? Anybody know one of them? Huh? Well, but the Bible doesn't say he walked with God in that way. We're talking about two people that actually said, and they walked with God. There's two. Huh? He was taken off on a chariot with God. <laughs> Why don't y'all just not say anything if you don't know? I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
It's Enoch and Noah. Enoch and Noah. Noah walked with God. Wow. Two people in the Bible that are listed that way. Now we know Adam did. what. We, well, we know that God came and he heard God walking in the cool of the evening in the garden. So we know that. By the way, which group are we? You know, we would say, well, plainly, J.B., I mean, we come to church, we love Jesus Christ, we, we want to be the ones that are walking with God. That's the prayer and the dream and the goal. And what we got to do is continue to tell people about Jesus Christ, because that's the contrast. Now, let me, what have we seen? We've seen that God gave Cain really a second chance. He, he killed, as he killed his, you know, he, he told him, if you'll just do what's right, you'll be able to have a relationship with me. But he didn't. He went out and killed his brother, and God confronted him. Cain denied it. God judged him, put that sign on him, and he left. We see the spread of civilization. Cain's civilization seems to be evil, followers of self and leaving out God, while then we have Seth and his descendants who seem to be the ones, the men who begin to call upon the name of the Lord. I think it's amazing that you see the contrast. You see those who call upon the name of the Lord and those who don't. Let me give you some applications and then we'll open it up for questions at the end. The first one is, don't get caught up in the world. In our culture, in our world system, it's contrary to God and to His Word. We see it, it's like since Cain, there's a system that leaves God out. And that's what you find all the time. Believers can get caught up into this. First John chapter 3, he says, don't love the world or the things in the world. You can love this world. You can get caught up. Jesus said the world hated him, it's going to hate you. When we trust in Him for Savior and we trust in Christ and live for Him... We are in an opposition to a fallen world. So be careful. What's the world like? What's it characterized by? It's self-gratification. It's security through materialism. It's God-free conscience. It's leaving God out. The world says, I'm here for me. I do my own thing. The more stuff I got, the better I am. And I don't need God. I don't need anything. That's the world. That's what the world thinks. Don't get caught up in the world. How are we living? What are we doing? I think, A... Decide that you will live for Christ and not yourself. Because let me tell you something. If you don't make a decision, a conscious decision, that you're going to live for Jesus Christ, you will be like the Romans 12.2 passage where it says, Stop being conformed to this world and be transformed. If you do not seek to live for Christ, you will be conformed to this world because it's pushing on you all the time. You have to make a decision to run the race with endurance looking unto Jesus. You have to make a decision that your life is going to count for him. You have to make a decision that you're going to to renew your mind through the word of God and live for him. You have to do that. So decide that you're going to live for Christ. Offer your life to him. Second is be Put the emphasis on the eternal and not the temporal. Because the world says now, everything here, but we want the eternal. And, you know, I just finished a study in Sunday school. We talked about the seven last things in the book of Revelation. And what's so great, it gets to the end and it gets to where Jesus comes back and sets up a kingdom. And then at the end of the kingdom, and then he makes a new heavens and a new earth. And then it just goes on forever. And that's the eternal state. And, and it's so incredible to know that we'll be with Jesus Christ forever. And we need to put the emphasis on the eternal and realize that the things of this world, they're not that valuable. They won't last. What really counts, in fact, in this world, there are only two things that last forever in this world. They are the Word of God and people. Invest your life in knowing the Word of God and invest your life in people. That's the eternal things. So put the emphasis not on the temporal things, but on the eternal things. The third thing is make your relationship with God a priority. Now we know that Cain and the rest of those people, they just did their own thing. We need to make our relationship with Jesus Christ a priority. Now that is a hard thing. Because every day you wake up 
And when you get up, you say, I got so much to do today. Is that correct? Don't we all have so much to do every day? And the easiest thing to do is just get up and say, I got to go do all my stuff. And what the Word of God says, listen, the most important relationship you have is just your relationship with God and with Jesus Christ. Make a priority your relationship with Him, quiet time with Him, know Him, deal with sin in your life, grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, study the Word of God, meet, get with fellow believers, get with people that's going to encourage you. Let me just say this. It is so vital that you make, as your close people and your friends and the people that are going to be influencing you, as people who are living for Christ and are want to make a difference for Christ. Realize that's important. Because if not, if you get with people who are going the other way, they're going to pull you the other way. You make a priority relationship with God and make a priority relationship with these people who are on fire for Christ. The idea is get with people who are going to encourage you to go on to maturity. The second big thing here is leave the vengeance to God. That's what we see. God says, if anybody touches him, I'm dealing with it. God is the one that gets the vengeance. He is the one that does that. So Romans chapter 12, I think, yeah, we got it right there. Romans chapter 12, never return evil with evil, return evil with good. Leave it to God. That's one of the things you just have to trust him for because as you go through life, people are going to do you wrong. Is that correct? How many of you ever been done wrong by somebody? Right? Everybody. How many of you have been done wrong by somebody on purpose? What do you do about it? Yeah, you, hands, feet, everything are going up over there, right? Yeah. How do you deal with that? You say, I'm going to get them back. This is not right. Bitterness? No, no. What you do is you say, I leave it to God. God is the one in control. He works all things according to the counsel of His will. Vengeance belongs to Him, says the Lord. I'm going to have to return what to those people who did me wrong? Good. That's really hard to do. That's why it's a supernatural life. You cannot do it in the flesh. You cannot do it in a normal normal person. You say, I'm going to do that. No, you can't do that. You have to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way. You can have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, self-control. The third thing. Let's call upon the name of the Lord. Let's be people who worship the living God. Let's be people who meet together and worship and make a priority that you're going to be with other believers and sing and pray and give. And as this passage says, men begin to call upon the name of the Lord. It doesn't mean just that they met together and worship, but it's the idea that they begin to follow the living God and serve Him. That's what we want to do. Are we worshiping? Are we growing? Are we serving? Are we doing these things? May we not get caught up in the pools of this world, but let's worship God and invest ourselves in other people to touch lives for Christ. Let's pray and we'll open up for questions. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you, Lord, as we see the fall of, of, of mankind and then we see Cain and how he killed his brother and how he goes his own way and how he continues to go his way and we see the civilization of the world which in a sense leaves out God and we see a man like Lamech and, and, and how he lives and what he says and what he does and then, Lord, we see the descendants of Seth and Enosh and the men who begin to call upon the name of the Lord. And, Lord, we realize that in a fallen world system there are those who believe in you and live for you and there are those who reject you and lord we want we want to continue to live for you we want to continue to reach out so that others would know who you are and they would trust in you and they would be part of those who call upon the name of the lord lord we just ask you that you'd use us in a mighty way that we gather together in worship and love and training and all of that and then we scatter in this community being representatives of jesus christ living for the eternal touching lives for christ and making an impact lord use us for your glory we ask this in jesus name Amen. Okay, any questions, comments, anything? Yeah, Hazel. 
It doesn't say anything about it. He may, he may have. It doesn't say anything about it. The, the only reason I think that maybe he didn't was because it, it doesn't list any of his children in any way, shape, or form. It's like when he's dead, he, he's gone, and then here Seth comes along, and suddenly you begin to see the children and descendants of Seth. Now, here's the picture is this. Just remember, Cain, um, Adam and Eve didn't have Cain, Abel, and Seth, and that's all. There are all these others. These are pictures. These are representative ones. They're real people, but Cain is a representative of the ones who reject. Abel is the one who believed and died. Seth is the one who is a believer in his offspring. So whether, whether Abel had offspring or not, they're not ever listed. But because Seth is being used as those who call upon the name of the Lord. Oh, probably most names are not listed in the Bible. In fact, when you get over to chapter 5, and that's next week, he starts giving the list. And he talks about Adam and Eve. And, and notice it, it says, Adam lived 130 years and begot Seth. That's all it says. And then it says, now Seth did this. Well, you know that Adam and Eve had more kids than Seth. We already know they had two other kids. But they had many children. They're only listing what we might say these main ones that are going through. And, and as you know, that we told you the Hebrew way of doing it is a big overview. And then, then there's the detail. Just like in the creation, he gave the big overview of the six days. And in that six-day creation, he says, and he created man and woman. He created a male and female. The second chapter, the whole emphasis is on the most important one, the male and the female. We're going to see next week that he begins the list. And he starts with Adam and he goes all the way down to a man by the name of Noah. Because, see, the next most important person is going to be Noah. And so he stops at the end of chapter 5 and says, and Noah had three sons. And then you start into chapter 6 and the most important person that he's going to deal with is Noah. So he lists all these names, but the only one that he really gives us the details on is Noah. And that's the way it is. And, then, and it's gonna, later on, we're going to see this listing, and we're going to see a man by the name of Abraham. And then there's going to be Isaac. And then there's going to be Jacob and his sons. And out of his sons, two kind of come to the front, Joseph, because of what Joseph does, but Judah, because Ju- the king is going to come through Judah. And you begin to see all of that. So God always does it that way. So even though you say, well, what about all these others? Why weren't they listed? He, that's just not the emphasis. There's going to be a particular emphasis. Good, good question. What else? Anything else? Yes. Where, where is the break between uh, returning evil with good and being the Christian doormat? You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, you, you don't go to an auto mechanic that you know overcharged you $200 and say, hey, he cheated me, I'll bring you more business. Why? why, why well, I, I don't think it's saying uh, put yourself in a situation again where they'll hurt you again. I think it's saying, don't do evil to them. Don't seek to get them back. Don't go over there and set fire to a shop. Don't go over there and let the air out of the tires. Don't go do all that kind of stuff. You don't get him back. God will deal with him. You don't return evil with evil. Return evil with good. Be a good person. Do the right things. No. I think that's wisdom. If a person hurts you, do you think the best thing to do is go right back where they can continue to hurt you? No. you got to be wise. Uh, you know, if a person hurts you, doing evil is going and hurting them. Being smart is saying, I'm, I'm not going to put myself in that situation again, if I can help it. So, good question. What else? What else? Yes. JJ, how you doing? It's great to see you. Thank you. You just got in at the end, did you? Yeah. How much did you get, JJ? I listened to the 
Okay. Thank you. Okay. Who would you like to kill? Is there anybody particular that you want to kill? Kill them. Okay. We know this, that you, we are responsible to protect our family, our children. In fact, the man's role, he's the provider and protector of the family. And if someone is trying to bring harm to your family, to you, you have the right to defend yourself. And what about the death penalty? Genesis 9, 6 says the death penalty. Romans 13 says the death penalty. All through the Mosaic Law, there's the death penalty. When people murder, when people kill and murder, when it says thou shall not kill, there's two different words. The, the, Thou shalt, it says, thou shalt not murder. That's what that says. There's a different word for killing. There was times in war, in battles, in defending yourself. And when, a, when a person has murdered, he is to be put to death by the state. He is to be put to death by the people. So I think when people violate the law, when people do things, when people murder, there are certain laws on that our government has set up that are worthy of the death penalty. And when people violate those laws, they should die. Under the Mosaic Law, there were certain laws that if were violated were death penalty. Now, I'm not sure we all want those same laws today. Because if you were disobedient to your parent over a long period of time, they could put you to death. Not a one-time disobedience, but an ongoing. So if you want to hold that over to your children, <laughs> say, here's what the Bible says, read this carefully. Of course, it's the Mosaic Law and we're not under that. Well, it's war, and there's a whole different thing of war. There's a difference in what we're about Cain. Right. There's a difference in murder and a difference in war. There is. We're defending other people. We're defending our lives. We're defending our nation. We're defending other nations. Uh, so that sometimes, you know, a nation of Israel went in and took over lands, destroyed I think today, in most situations, somebody breaking in your house and they're trying to harm you, I think that in most situations, you defend yourself and you'll probably be okay. Okay, law-wise is what I'm thinking of. Okay, does that, did that help at all? Okay, any other, any other questions, any other things? Yeah, Randy. Did you think Abel's death was the first human death? That's a great question. I don't know if you could hear it. He says, was Abel's death... The first human death or just the first one we know about? I really don't know. I know it's definitely the first one we know about. And how, 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 you know, how many other kids did they have? And all of these things before this happened. Because when you start reading this, Adam was 130 years old when he got Seth. How old was he when he had these kids? We just don't know. I would, I would almost like to think, I mean, this is my Impression is that that uh, Abel was the first human death, possibly, unless somebody just you know died when they were much younger or something. But we just don't know. Great question. Anything else? 
Well, I think he was forgiven for the murder. I think the punishment and the consequences of the murder was not put to death. It was it was banishment and that he would not be able to grow crops and he would not have a permanent home. That was his consequences. Forgiveness. Remember, the idea of forgiveness and consequences are two different things. You can receive forgiveness and still have consequences. You know, in fact, I remember when when one of the pastors back years ago had done something wrong, one of the nationally known pastors, and uh, uh, they were talking about the fact that he was going to be removed from the pulpit. And there were people in the congregation that said, he's forgiven, he needs to be in the pulpit. And some other people said, no, 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 it's not a question of forgiveness. He is forgiven, but the consequences of his actions, he's not able to be in that position of responsibility. So there is a difference between the consequences of something and forgiveness. You can do something wrong as a believer, and you can confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you, and there still may be consequences for your sin. So there's always a difference between forgiveness and consequences. Anything else? Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you, Lord, for our time, and most of all, thank you for Jesus. Help us, Lord, as we realize that we want to be men and women who call upon the name of the Lord and make an impact for Jesus Christ and live in such a way that he gets all the honor and the glory. Thank you for this body of believers. Thank you for their hearts to know the word and to grow and to study and to dig and then spread out in this community with the good news message. Use us, Lord, for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.